Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily D.C., While the coronavirus crisis is primarily, first and foremost, about public health and keeping people safe, it is also an economic disaster of historic proportions. Well, it's it's so bad for the economy, but the economy is number two on my list. First, I want to save a lot of lives. We're going to get the economy back. I think the economy is going to come back very fast. Tomorrow, that economic disaster is about to get very real for a lot of people around the country as they find themselves unable to pay their bills on the first of the month. That, as Goldman Sachs today announced, that it has significantly downgraded its outlook for the U.S. economy, projecting that the labor market will collapse even worse than anticipated. Joining me now to explain the economic and political implications of this crisis, CNN anchor and correspondent Julia Chatterley and CNN senior writer Zach Wolf. Thanks so much for being here, guys. Thanks. Thank you. I am in my closet in my house, hoping that my children don't walk in and interrupt us. Just to let you know, I'm coming to you from Hudson Yards, of course, our office here in New York. One of the few people remaining here, but please excuse any beeps and phone lines ringing because uh, things are still happening in the background. Julia, let me begin with you. I know it's sometimes hard when we talk about the economic implications of this pandemic because it is both sort of real world economy in people's uh, daily budgets of their lives, as well as sort of some of the macroeconomic factors that I know can make some people's eyes glaze over uh, when they hear about it. But when we saw 3.3 million unemployment claims last week and expect to see a couple million more on top of that this week, those are real jobs, real incomes, and, and people are now about to have to pay the rent, pay the mortgage, pay the utility bills, many of which all sort of on due on the first of the month, which is tomorrow. Do we know if the stimulus checks are going to arrive in time to help people? And what is the impact if people can't make those payments? This is such a great point, because for all the attention that's been placed on Congress agreeing this $2 trillion financial aid package, for everyday people, and we've seen this over the last couple of weeks, millions of people have lost their jobs. And this is the real point where we see the first cash crunch. Over the next 24 hours, people have to decide between paying a mortgage, their car loan repayments, paying their rent, for example, and just the basic things of of buying food and taking care of their families. This is the the real challenge. And for many people, even if they know they're going to get that one-off payment, even if they can go and claim unemployment insurance, it's not going to kick in for several weeks. There are options. I guess this is the first thing to point out. If you're bank with Bank of America, you have a mortgage with them. They've said, look, we're allowing you to defer mortgages. But 
every bank has been told from the top down, you have to be reasonable here. This is a health crisis and an economic crisis. Landlords can seek relief if they have a federal-backed loan. If you have a backed mortgage, a federally-backed mortgage, and we can go into details on that, um, evictions and foreclosures have been halted for a temporary period. Same with tenants. You can't be evicted if you don't pay your rent for the next 120 days. But just the psychology of that, I don't think we can underscore the importance of the psychology for people that are facing a health crisis, perhaps lost their job, and now battling to make payments and decide what to pay and not to pay. It's pretty crippling. And let me just ask you on that. You mentioned Bank of America point. If if somebody takes advantage of an offer to defer a mortgage payment, uh, is there added interest to that? Is there sort of a penalty down the line for doing so? The suggestion has been no, and that they will allow you to recoup that down the line. They're doing the best they can. I think this is a this is certainly an example of a bank showing leadership. Again, it's down to individual people who have mortgages with others. If they're not um, from federally backed mortgage places, and I'm talking here now the FHA. So that's the sign that you have to look for. And generally, these have been targeting the low to moderate income borrowers, first time buyers as well. So if you're listening and you're perhaps one of those people, then look for that FHA sign. But for for everybody else, it's a case of picking up the phone, speaking to your bank and saying, guys, you know, I have a problem here. Please help me out. I, I was just kind of I'm, I'm interested in this because it's al- it's almost like you're you know, you think of these large corporations, but you can also call them and ask for a very personal agreement is what it sounds like. Can you do that with the utility company, with your credit card company? I mean, at the end of the day, the people who hold your debts and I'm, I'm, most Americans have some kind of debts, the people who hold the debts want to get paid. So. They'll wait for the payment, I think, is, w- is what you're saying. The problem that I'm hearing most so far is that simply struggling to, people are simply struggling to get through. They're trying to call their bank. They're trying to uh, call their credit provider. And they're simply struggling to talk to someone. So I think that's the first thing. Keep trying is the message. Um, but I think everybody recognizes that these are un unprecedented times, forcing someone into a situation where they have to choose between feeding their families and perhaps making rent payments or mortgage payments. Everybody recognizes that the priority here is is food and health. So it's about communication. And again, I reiterate, I think everybody has been told from the top down, we have to be reasonable here because we need to try and stabilize and protect the economy at least for the next few months with the hope that we can come out of this in decent shape and stimulate a recovery the other side. The hope is that it's just for a few months. And that's the critical difference, I think, between an ordinary recession and what we're going through at this moment. Julia, so it doesn't get more, I think, real and understandable for people than sort of bills do on the first of the month, like we've been talking about. But can you explain to our listeners what it means when uh, an organization like Goldman Sachs says the U.S. economy is going to contract some 34 percent in the second quarter and that it was only days ago when they thought it was going to only contract 24 percent, so significantly worse than they had originally thought? What, what does that mean? It tells me that they're guessing a great deal about the impact on the economy. This is something that we have never seen before, bringing huge chunks of the economy to a virtual halt overnight, 
seeing the flood of people losing their jobs and the unemployment claims stacking up. So initially, Goldman Sachs were one of those banks that said, don't worry, we're looking at the SARS experience from previous years and we're mapping that to today and we think it's going to be okay." So this bank in particular has been struggling to forecast just what's going to happen with the economy. The key point that they're making here is that they only, and I say only very carefully, expect a 15% unemployment rate by the summer. I mean, that's one of the, let's call it, more optimistic views that I've seen out there. You know, I could do a quick rule of thumb for you. Every one and a half million jobs lost in this country equates approximately to a one percentage point rise in unemployment. So if I look at some of the forecasts for what we could see over the past week, and some of them are as high as another four and a half million people losing their jobs just in the last two weeks, based on that calculation, we could be looking at an eight and a half to nine percent unemployment rate here in the United States, just in the space of a few weeks. So I can be a little bit critical about people's inaccuracy and the revisions of forecasts, but at the same time, we've never seen anything like this at this kind of speed and done deliberately, of course, to try and tackle a health crisis. The economics here are mind-blowing. Yeah, and we were under 4% unemployment there for a while just because that and that was near historic lows, 15%. And I just did a Google search, so cheating a little bit, but that's way higher than the Great Recession. I mean, you're 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 knocking on depression levels of unemployment there. The but you said something I think that's really interesting and I think you know, the idea that this could just last a few months and bounce back. We have uh, done an incredible job. The economy is going to come back. My focus is saving lives. That's the only focus I can have. We're going to bring the economy back. We'll bring it back fast. It's almost like we're all taking most of the economy, with the exception of, you know, grocers and Amazon, is just taking a couple of months off. And Every week, it seems like it's going to be another month. We're into, you know, June, where I live in Virginia. We stay at home until June 10th, and it could go longer than that if you listen to some of these projections. Are we essentially all just taking a, a holiday, a months-long holiday from doing anything? Is there any precedent for things bouncing back? I mean, there, there's no precedent for something like this. Is there any precedent that you know of for a government essentially saying nobody can do any any economic activity right now and then without having lasting consequences, just having that bounce back afterwards? That that seems like it's 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 guesswork Manage right? to stabilize the economy in some sense. Do we then see more stimulus more financial aid coming from Congress in the next few weeks and months in order to kickstart the economy the other side. But, you know, the debate has been raging even for the last few weeks when the president talked about an Easter opening of the economy. And a lot of people looked at that and said, whoa, that's not going to be in line with what the medical experts say. You try reopening this economy without the medical experts being on board. People go to a restaurant or go to a cinema and one person coughs and everyone runs for the exit. False starts here on reopening the economy, I think, are going to be as dangerous as a staggered reopening at some point when we think we've got the virus under control. There's so many unknowns at this stage.
That's why so many we've heard so many governors or elected officials say it is, you know, the economy can't turn back on until the health crisis, until we're on the other side of that. Those two things are linked in such a way, in such a sequential way, that if you spark one before the other, it could do more harm than good. Um Julia, I guess Zach referenced the The difference great between recession. what we saw there know, and there are a few know, differences. We did not, uh, that was about maybe we hit around 10% unemployment there. And financial crisis. I think crisis. that is most people's and that most immediate frame of people reference for in the real economy uh, in their lives. The US going through losses. very hard economic this times. This situation is very so different. So other than the potential as you said we don't know the, the an economic back, crisis is this going to feel anything like because that was extraordinarily difficult for many Americans and there was the a lot of job loss and there was a lot of economic pain and, um, and it was a very, very slow recovery for people. And so I, I'm just wondering, do we think there's anything comparable there I mean, that can the prepare people weeks, for what this might be? The central bank like? here, the Federal Reserve, did as much as was done in one year of the financial crisis because they recognized warning signals. This is really important. And if you remember back then, the battles that went on in Congress simply trying to get financial support and aid for the economy and for individuals, what we saw Congress pass in the space of what felt drawn out but was a very short space of time dwarfs that by more than two times. So the support is there and the hope is that this won't be so drawn out. The question is, will they be willing to come back? And we've already heard, particularly from the Democrats, unity and look, we don't know if we've done enough and we're willing to come back to the table and provide more support, particularly, I think, for the healthcare sector and for the individual states who've already said, look, our budgets are blown here and we need more money. That willingness is going to be an important thing too. And the hope that enough money, I mean, we're talking 30% of our output, money thrown at this situation will cushion the economy, it will cushion individual people far better than was done in the financial crisis. That's the hope. I think we'll have a better sense when we see the cash actually flowing to ordinary people, when we see businesses of all sizes taking those loans, do we see small and medium-sized enterprises? And this is, remember, 85% of the employment in the United States. When we see them taking money to stabilize themselves, will we see them ultimately rehiring some of the workers that they Before I let shed you guys go, in the last uh, Julia, few weeks. You know, I because then they can the get loan forgiveness. So this so is going to be a I'm vital element too. And I think experts each week we're going to be watching those jobless claims numbers and just to get a sense of what we're seeing. And remember, for the first time ever, the gig economy, I'm talking your Uber drivers, um, freelancers, self-employed people, they are allowed to get those unemployment benefits this time around. And it's an estimated around a third of the workers in the United States work in some form in the gig economy. So don't be fooled by high claims. Those people are also going to be cushioned for the next few months. What we come out with in the end is going to be very interesting to see. But I have to say, you know, when I look at the data that we've had today, that confidence data, I think it's just a preview of the pain to come. The hope 
is that the support measures in place will provide some stabilisation and for that we just have to wait and see what the data tells us. Thank you. Zach Wolf, Julia Chatterley, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks, David. And a special thanks to our listeners as well. I'll be answering your questions this Friday about the role of government in this pandemic, how the 2020 elections impacted the politics of coronavirus on Friday's podcast. So go to my Twitter page, that's at David Chalian, and fill out our submission form. And remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight. So please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps other people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, we encourage you to do so. Use the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.